Hey everyone, this is Dr. Tim Cummings. And this is Dr. Jess Cummings. And this is the Healthy Kansas City Podcast. On today's episode of the Healthy Kansas City Podcast, we interview Rachel Sandoval with Rachel Sandoval Integrative and Functional Nutrition. And this podcast is a lot of fun. It was the first podcast that we recorded in the evening. And somehow, some way, I had a ton of energy for this podcast. So <laughs> it might sound a little bit uh, different than our usual uh, episodes, but we uh, really had a ton of fun talking to Rachel. And it's really cool, too, because she is a uh, close neighbor of ours and she's got a lot of connections with uh, dietitians that we have had on the podcast in the past, um, Lee Wagner, Randy Evans as well. And what's really encouraging is that we're seeing just a, a flourishing of dietitians in the Kansas City metro area that are really more thoughtful and more well-informed about making individualized prescriptions for their clients and not just trying to put a one-size-fits-all uh, USDA-approved diet recommendation into everybody's life. Mm-hmm. And Rachel has a very interesting personal story, and she specializes in dealing with um a dietary approach when clients have autoimmune disorders, especially ladies. So um, if that's you or someone you know, this is definitely an episode you're going to want to listen to. So guys, we hope you enjoy it. And as always, if you love the episode and love the podcast, please give us a five-star review. Reviews are how this gets uh, shared and seen. So we appreciate that. As Tim always says, if you don't like it, just don't leave a review. Kindly, quietly email us and tell us you don't like it. And we'll do the best to improve what we can. So... (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you on the other end. All right. Welcome back to the Healthy Kansas City podcast. And today we would love to introduce you to Rachel Sandoval, who owns Rachel Sandoval Nutrition. So Rachel, thank you for your time. Welcome. We're happy to have you here. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. And I had to correct you right off the bat, Jess. What did I do? (laughs) This is a special evening edition of the podcast. It is. We never do this. We were just talking about this. We're all busy working professionals. And so... This, this time worked best, but nonetheless, we are excited to have you on, Rachel. So thanks Yay. for making the time. What yeah, were you I'm excited. On? What did I do wrong? You said today. It's like, oh, today. The end of the day. Yes, this evening. Oh. <laughs> so it's an evening conversation. So if you're listening to this podcast in the evening, you know, maybe pull out your uh, your favorite beverage. I'm having some mineral water. Jess yeah. is having some regular water. We'll all sound crazy. It's yeah. okay. Some tea, there you go. yeah, that, right. Your favorite evening beverage and tea from the dietitian, right? <laughs> I'll be anxious for you to share. Just you know, where can we get teas that are quality in the city? I just ordered some today, so I'm That's kind right. of you just got a new delving uh, into kettle. the tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, cool. yeah. Cool. Well, I do almost all herbal teas because I don't actually like real tea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I usually get traditional medicinals brand. That's my favorite. <laughs> Very cool. But I don't have a real tea recommendation just because I don't drink it. That's I'm okay. with you. I'm much more of a coffee person. There's a couple of teas that I like. And mm-hmm. we, my coffee. oldest son broke my um, kettle. Yeah. It's a tea kettle, like the a glass kettle. Yep. yep. So we were at Costco this weekend and saw one and I didn't even realize it has a little tea infuser in there for loose leaf tea. It's like, Oh, cool. that's cool. We should, you know, get a couple. Yeah. Try it out, so. But coffee is, yeah. Coffee is really where it's at for us. It's <laughs> yeah. like, that's really what, that's the whole reason I like to go to bed at night because it's like, I know the coffee's coming in the morning. So True. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that as we talk, right? Like is coffee even good for us, Rachel? <laughs> Oh, no, I don't even want to have but, that conversation no, because we'll I, that ship there. has already sailed. I'm interested, but Rachel, please start us off with just your background and anything that you want to tell our audience about you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, sounds good. Um, well, so I'm a registered dietitian, um, and I specialize in uh, integrative and functional medicine. And um, I guess I'll I can share a little bit about how I got into that and. Um, how just how I got into nutrition so for sure about 11 years ago (laughs) I got really really sick um I got a really severe case of mono um and it was it kind of coincided with a really stressful time in my life so I didn't like rest or do anything to recover from it I just tried to push through 
And that sort of sparked, um, which I've, I've since learned this is actually kind of common. Um, it sparked just a whole cascade of health issues from, uh, you know, severe daily migraines to digestive stuff. Um, and those were kind of the initial things, but, you know, later on like joint pain and autoimmune issues and all kinds of stuff like that kind of developed. And so that journey of trying to figure out what to do <laughs> about that. Uh, once I finally got to the point where I was, you know, really investigating it, um, was what got me into nutrition. Um, I, you know, I saw a bunch of different doctors, we tried to figure it out and it ultimately was diet and lifestyle change that had the biggest impact on, you know, helping me get better. Um, and Can so you talk a little bit about the, um, traditional approach, like what your docs did with you, because as you're saying this, I have a very similar story. I had mono as a freshman in high school when I was 15 and uh -huh. kind of the same, like it wasn't impressed on me by the mm -hmm. medical community. And, and maybe they did. I just don't remember it this way, like how much I really truly needed to rest. So same freshman in high school, I'm a volleyball player. I didn't. And yeah. never felt like until I changed my diet at what, Tim, like 28, I was 28 years old when we kind of started doing Maybe some research on our own, me a long, yeah. like over a decade there yeah. where I didn't do anything much. And I didn't feel better until then, until I changed lifestyle and diet. So, yeah. um, it's, it's very interesting that I really resonate with that, but yeah, tell our listeners just kind of what, what you were told from the traditional medicine side of things and what they did for you. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty lucky in that I ended up working with a neurologist who was pretty savvy with diet and lifestyle stuff. So, so they kind of started me off from the beginning with, um, sleep hygiene and those types of things, but I was really young. So mm -hmm. I didn't take it super seriously. I wish I had taken it more seriously um, and rested. I, I really think that was a huge piece of why it took me so long to get better was I didn't rest. But anyways, so the, so I feel like that piece of it was decent where I felt like the um, traditional medical model really didn't work was with my digestive stuff um, because you know, it was really helpful for diagnosis, you know, did an endoscopy, figured out what was going on. Um, and it ended up being an issue with my gallbladder, um, refluxing into my stomach and causing gastritis. Um, it's called bile reflux gastritis. And so that was causing severe abdominal pain and all kinds of fun, fun stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so they just didn't really have a whole lot that they could do with that besides, well, maybe we could try removing your gallbladder, but we don't really know if it's going to work, which kudos to the surgeon for being honest about that. Yeah, <laughs> that for sure. Didn't know if, it, if it was going to work. And so I ended up going to see a naturopathic doctor be like, is there anything that I can do about this? And so she helped get me started on gallbladder support and digestive support. And, um, that really made a huge difference with my digestive health and um, kind of starting to, to turn things around there. So um, I don't know if I quite answered your question, but that's a no, you know, did. That's so super helpful. I'm kind of interested to tell people because I know, you know, this is, this is not an uncommon thing. Like, what was that journey like for you from like a like time perspective, how long did it take you to like go down this path from like when you initially got mono and then kind of struggled with the side effects and kind of the, the downstream effects of that before you really started to see things change? Um, ooh, that's a good question. So keep in mind that this whole time I was still in school mm -hmm. <laughs> after a brief period when I had mono, I had to drop out of school for mm a little while. Um, I was pretty, pretty sick during that time. But after that, I still tried to push through like diet, you know, full-time dietetic school and working and it was really high intensity. So I think that added a lot of time to it, but I would say I first got sick in 2010 and I think I saw the naturopath in 
2013, maybe. Okay. So about so three that was years. Three years. Maybe it was maybe it was 2014. So three or four years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's kind of just been an ongoing journey. I mean, I'm not like 100% now, mm-hmm. <laughs> 11 years, 11 years later, but um, made a ton of progress. I mean, I went from, you know, being pretty debilitated there for a few years to largely functional. But again, <laughs> I think that rest piece is so huge. And that's something that I have been really harping on with all of my patients lately, just got slow yeah. down. <laughs> Yeah, which is funny because especially in this time over the last year, it seems like, you know, with everybody having to stay at home, you would assume that there'd be plenty of opportunity to rest, but it seems like it's really exposed. We've seen this as well on our in our practice. It's really exposed, uh, I feel like, a lack of good practices around things like you were mentioning sleep hygiene. It's like mm-hmm. we had that conversation with many people and first of all, it's like a lot of them don't even know what sleep hygiene means. <laughs> Second of all, they're like sleep. Well, that's the thing I do when I'm like tired of watching TV or when I fall asleep watching TV and then I get up and then I go to bed and it's like, yeah, mm, yeah. So it's a little more involved than that. So, yeah. and I noticed like even the difference between you and me is since I have a history of autoimmunity, you know, mm-hmm. spurred by the, the mono when I was 15 as well. Um, I don't really have a buffer, you know, like I, physically feel sick if I don't get enough rest even one night like it is not pretty and it's like the next day I need a nap I need to go to bed early and I recover pretty quick as long as I kind of stay on top of that but I mean Tim you can we don't recommend this those listening we don't recommend (laughs) this it happens though we are business owners you know like Tim if you stay up late because you're working you're getting things done Mm -hmm. I mean even super like midnight which for those listening, we probably sound old. That's very late for us. Yeah. When you have yeah, like a full-time job yes. and three kids. But it's like, that's, that's super late. late. And yeah. occasionally you'll do that. And like, I mean, you're okay the next day. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there's a lot of strategies. I don't want people mm-hmm. to think that it's just like, it, it, and I have this conversation with many people because I've seen like in the like popular press, people like praise people like, Bill Clinton, you know, President Clinton, who like was notorious for like not sleeping. And they're like, well, look at him. I've had people like point to him and I'm like, yeah, he had a heart attack at like 52, 53. It's like, that's not really a sign that like he, he was doing things right. But like there, there's a lot of strategies that I'll use like when I'm up late like that. Cause you know, I think we talked about this on a couple of different podcasts um, with some docs, just about how that affects your insulin sensitivity or, Mm -hmm. you know, sense of hunger and you know hormone levels and and all that so it's like if i do something like that like i'm going to mitigate that on the back end on the next day just in terms of like how much i eat what i eat you know what i'm going to do as far as like sleep the next day and even just like exercise like that you know how much i'm going to really push myself in the gym too yeah so, for sure yeah 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 i'm the same way with the like if i lose even even a couple hours of sleep in one night, like my mm-hmm. joints hurt, I have a headache, just you know, anxiety through the roof. It all just kind of goes goes bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think though, you know, it's really that's no fun, right? And I can relate a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, it, I hope it's encouraging for those listening. If you are struggling with an autoimmune issue, chronic pain, any sort of chronic disease. Mm-hmm. you may have to be more strict with your lifestyle, but it is possible to feel well. And it's yeah. possible to, like you said, you know, function fairly normally, mm-hmm. <laughs> provided you kind of control all these factors and still live like a very, like, I mean, you have a high quality life. And, you know, I think that's really important. And for me, sometimes I tend to get frustrated. Like, oh, I just don't have, like, I, can't, I just can't eat off for a day. Even I'll wake up hot at night. I can tell I'm inflamed or, you know, it's just crazy things. I never used to notice because I was always inflamed, but then it's just like, you know what though? Like, I'm super thankful to have the knowledge I have that I know how to get my body the rest it needs. I know what good sleep hygiene is, I know what good food is and how to manage my stress. Like a lot of things that I've learned over the years. And that's really made a huge difference in my quality of life too. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's huge. I obviously I'm I'm a dietitian, so I mostly talk to people about food, but I feel like just the whole I feel like I spend just as much time on all those other lifestyle pieces because I think that's so important, especially when we're talking about, you know, making 
progress as opposed to just maintaining that, you know, your body has to have that space to heal. So you have to, you know, sort of control some of those, um, you know, as much as you can like stress. And yeah. Sleep. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't stress impact the gut microbiome as well. So you can mm-hmm. be coaching people on all the right foods, but if they aren't managing their stress, they're going to have a hard time making progress because of that issue as well. So, I mean, it's absolutely relevant for what you do to kind of coach people on that as well. And, and we do the same in our business. You know, yes, we primarily do physical therapy, but if yeah. people want to heal from pain that they're seeing us for, we bring in the sleep conversations and the food and the stress management, because, you know, that is just as important. They will heal faster. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's more to kind of like quarterback people's health to mm-hmm. get them people like you, Rachel, because yeah, it's like sure. somebody's like, well, well, I've had this, you know, back pain for the last 10 years. And then, you know, we ask them about their diet and they're like, well, yeah, I usually skip breakfast. And then I like eat out for lunch and then dinner's like, you know, whatever I can get my hands on at home. Plus what my kids are eating. I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, yeah, we probably need to dial that in a little bit, but that's well outside of my scope of practice beyond just saying like, Hey, I know somebody that you should probably talk to. So, so talk a little bit more. I think that's, that's something we ask a lot of the people we have on the podcast, talk a little bit about like this may be jumping ahead a few steps and I've got a bunch of other various random questions, but like, what's your process? Like when somebody gets connected with you, like that initial conversation and kind of where you like to kind of steer things? Yeah. Good question. Um, so I take a functional medicine approach with my clients. So that means we're, you know, we're looking at their whole lifestyle as well as their whole history. So, you know, when did this start? Did it start when you got mono 11 years ago? Did it start um, last year when you got food poisoning? Did it, you know, what sort of triggered these things to happen? Um, You know, do we know about family history or of autoimmune disease, for example, Um, and, and digging into that history and then Um, ideally we'll have some good labs. So whether I'm working with a doctor that can run labs, or there's a lot of labs that I can actually run myself, um, particularly with like nutrient related testing or food sensitivities or, um, like digestive stuff. Um, we'll, we'll dig into that and try to identify like what's really, you know, deep down root cause going on to drive, drive your symptoms. Um, And then I try to be really careful about meeting people where they are because I have, you know, experienced myself how hard it is when just, you know, life is really chaotic and then you're trying to maintain this super intense diet like, you know, AIP, for example, and all these supplements and you're trying to control your sleep and, you know, it can be really, really overwhelming and people can kind of burn out if if they're not ready for that. Um, so we'll usually do, you know, a pretty thorough assessment to, to figure out, you know, what are you doing right now and how can we take it one step at a time to get you in a, in a better place. Um, and some people do really well with like a cold turkey all in approach and other people need that gradual approach. I would say it's funny. You're talking to two of those people. So if I learn something, right, that's not good for me. And I've done some research, like it's hard for me to gradually phase out, right? Like I want to do that because I know that what I'm eating or maybe my makeup products or, you know, what I'm yeah. using, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is toxic. I, I can't be using this. It's yeah. really bad for me. So I'm the cold Turkey person, but I love what you said about the gradual approach, because I mean, Tim and I think are unusual. That's hard, very hard for people to cut cold turkey. And, you know. Well, a big piece they, of that is like social support too. Yeah, but they I'm say sure. old habits die yeah. hard for a reason. They, they do. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking about a client I had with uh, psoriatic arthritis in the last couple of years. And she like, she truly does need a functional medicine approach. Like she was seeing me and I like told her, her like, I'm just going to be your mandate. You know, like I'm happy to see you. But really like, there's a lot we can do to help you, but it really will be short-term results. Like you, you need to get nutrition on board, diet on board. But interesting thing with her, she was a single mom, had several kids. I mean, that's stressful in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, COVID happened. And then she, she did actually, I, I don't know who she saw. I didn't ask, but 
she did kind of go through a functional med approach. And what she said to me was, it stressed me out so much to have to eat that way and made everything worse. And so I've just gone back to, you know, and stories like that make me so sad because she truly does need to kind of change her diet to feel better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then, then it's like, well, okay, we need to get you to a provider that can make this manageable for you because you need this Yeah, and it shouldn't be stressful. We need to figure out an approach that will make it as nice, gradual, yeah. like, okay, mm-hmm. step one, that's easy. Okay. Now what else can we do? That's easy. Okay. Now what else can we do? <laughs> yeah. That's what we love about, mm-hmm. about the way you do it, Rachel. Like mm-hmm. having talked with you before about your approaches, like I think that's the thing that we, we do in physical therapy as well is we're always trying to think about meeting people where they're at. Like, how can we integrate this into what you're already doing and how can we make like one change for the better? And then just once we create that little small habit, then build on top of that and then build on top of that, as opposed to, like you said, which we see commonly, I was guilty of this as a young physical therapist as well. Like just thinking that like, well, if I make the perfect exercise program for somebody, it's like they, they, they'll get better because it's the perfect program. And it's like, yeah, well, you're not considering the person. Like if you're more concerned about the program than the person, it's like, you're probably not going to yeah. get the result you want all the time. For example, if our client is not sleeping, like I've told some clients, this isn't often, but in the past, it's like, okay, next visit I see you, we have to get you on an exercise program. Even if it's like two things, <laughs> very simple. Your job for the next week till I see you again is to improve your sleep. Like this is what, I, you know, we go through the sleep hygiene handout because mm-hmm. if I determine that that really is their, their factor that's hanging them up and causing chronic pain, like that might be the thing to change first before they do mm-hmm. anything related to my specialty. So, um, so it's interesting and people are interesting and every client's different. And I'm sure you see that as well, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and for the most part, you know, the people that come to see me are relatively more motivated by the time, you know, they, they get to that point. Um, they kind of know I'm a functional medicine person and they're, you know, relatively open to that for the most part. But um, yeah, I think that, I think that's just so important because I, everybody grows up with a different experience and, you know, I have friends and family who are like, gluten-free that's ridiculous like why would you do that (laughs) and other people are like of course gluten you know we have to we have to cut back on gluten you know and it's just um everybody's got a different perspective and if you if you don't meet them where they're at then it won't work (laughs) yeah yeah well that's actually a nice segue into what I would love to chat with you about I know one of your big things is dealing with people with autoimmune issues Mm -hmm. and there's some common that, you know, there's lots of different autoimmune issues, but lots of common root sources. So um, I would love your perspective and just personally, you know, what were the things that you did from a diet and lifestyle standpoint to help you overcome your, you know, health issues, um, probably similar to, to mine, but I'm curious your perspective. And yeah. I think our listeners need to hear that because our, I mean, autoimmunity has gone up by how much in our country it's insane. I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it's a lot It's It's on Mm -hmm. the rise and has been on the rise for the last several decades. So there's something triggering this in people and, and people always, I mean, certain, certain people say, oh, it's just genetics. I'm like, okay, well, we don't evolve that fast. So (laughs) like, no, it's not just like, there has to be something else that's triggering those genes or something else going on as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, so since, you know, this is kind of your specialty and something you deal with a lot, what advice can you give for people when it comes to autoimmune diseases? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned genetics and I think what I usually tell people is not always, but often the genes are there to make you more susceptible to developing an autoimmune disease, but it's usually some sort of like event that triggers event or maybe an accumulation of, you know, poor lifestyle over a long period of time. But like for me, mono sounds like for you, mono, um, like a really high stress period or some sort of infection. Often those types of things could trigger an autoimmune disease to develop Um, pregnancy for some people. Um, so how we treat that and how we address it depends on what it is and depends on the person, but usually a really good place to start for just, you know, average person wanting to take it one step at a time is to think about ways to reduce inflammation. Um, 
getting good sleep is a really great way to reduce inflammation. <laughs> um, making sure you're, you're being smart with exercise, managing your stress. Those are, you know, all of those things are really important, of course. Um, and then with food, making sure you're getting lots of colorful fruits and veggies, um, healthy fats, managing your blood sugar. So not, not overdoing it on carbs, cutting back on junk food, all of those types of things. And if you have kind of that foundational diet piece in place where, you know, okay, I eat a healthy diet. I eat lots of veggies. Um, I eat fish, you know, relatively healthy. Then we would look more into like, okay, should we try an elimination diet or um, dig into some more therapeutic strategies? Because a lot of times food sensitivities can be um, triggers for autoimmune disease. Um, and a lot of it ties back to gut health too. So, so that's really important as well. Um, digging into what's going on with somebody's gut and GI, you know, dysbiosis, bacterial imbalances in the gut can contribute to autoimmune symptoms, even if a person doesn't have digestive symptoms. So it can be really hard to pinpoint, but making sure that we're supporting gut health while we do all of these things is really important because if you take out a bunch of foods, but you don't do anything to help heal the gut, um, your food tolerance isn't going to improve. You're not going to see the, the results that you want. So um, I guess that's kind of a, a little overview. That's um, super that's helpful. Good. So Essentially, I should not start a seven-day juice cleanse tomorrow to <laughs> detox my body. That's not going to solve all my problems, is what it's you're saying. It's not going to solve all your problems. <laughs> Dang it! Dang it! So, for the record, like I know juicing is big around. Tim and I have never done a juice cleanse, and I'm not saying there's not a place for it. I mean, maybe is there that's a place helpful. for it? I don't know. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm curious. I don't know. That, that is a hot thing right now. So I, I will give my own opinion. I will give my own opinion here. Okay, this you are not the dietitian own, love. Just. <laughs> unprofessional opinion okay, it's like it, <laughs> okay if you are not in good health like having a bunch of like fruits and vegetables that have been broken down to make them easier and quicker to digest doesn't seem like the way to fix like a broken metabolism in my mind it's like i understand this from the the standpoint of nutrient density but like i think about um because i have the you know all the genetic predispositions for dementia and we know that blood sugar control is important so if we speed up that process of digestion and speed mm -hmm. up that release of blood sugar into the into the bloodstream that's going to spike my insulin faster and keep me on that blood sugar roller coaster that may be making me eat more regularly so it's probably not going to be the thing that like helps me break my bad food habits just my two cents but yeah. Okay. Rachel, you're the expert. So um, yeah, tell our audience because the juice cleanses are a big thing. I get questions from clients all the time. So um, that's funny. Um, I feel like I haven't heard about juice cleanses in a while. Um, so fruit Maybe I'm on social media too much. I don't know. That could be it. <laughs> fruit juice is definitely never going to be a good part of a juice cleanse. I don't, I won't say there's never a place for like a vegetable juice cleanse, but I'd say it's very rare. The vast majority of the time, I, I can't, I can't think of a circumstance in which I would recommend that. Okay. All right. Oh, I so mean, I'm in the ballpark. Mental at least. health standpoint. Yeah. And a digestive health standpoint, not to mention how in the world would you get protein? Yeah. Yeah. And protein is important, especially for women who not more important necessarily for women. It's just women tend not to get enough. So, yeah. um, it's interesting, especially with like the type of clientele we see, cause we see mm -hmm. a lot of very active people who probably need yeah. more protein than the average person as well. So I yeah. want to go back to something you said real quick, Rachel, <laughs> kind of steer all back. over the place. I know <laughs> this is what happens when we do this in the evening, I guess, apparently. <laughs> so, um, when you were talking about, you know, some of the strategies as far as like addressing autoimmunity and you mentioned like doing the right type of exercise, I think that's super important. Like what would be your recommendations? I think we're pretty well aligned on this. Uh, so, well, <laughs> I am not an exercise expert. My experience has been that doing 
PT has been the only way to get my joint pain under control. So being smart with exercise, meaning it's way more complicated than I ever even could have imagined to have correct form to not flare up my joints. Yeah. And so, and I have hypermobile joints too. So that makes it a little wacky, but you're the special 5%. So yeah. <laughs> You're the people that don't need to stretch. So well, it's interesting yeah. you mentioned yeah. that because so many people do have the opposite problem where they're yeah. inflexible and that leads to injuries. You know, we see people like you rarely because it is more rare, but you know, when you are truly hypermobile, you need the strength to control that range. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can hang on your ligaments, you can hang on the joints, it wears them out faster. And then if they're already inflamed or predisposed to that, you have a higher sensitivity level, meaning less input can hurt you more than the average person. Maybe somebody else could squat incorrectly, you know, 800 times before their knee hurts. Well, maybe for you, it's like 50 times. Yeah. <laughs> and then the knee hurts, you know, that's just an example, but um, that's super important. And I think we talked about that when you were here in person visiting um, yeah. in the last couple of weeks, right? That like, um, especially for women's strength training is really important. And that's missing from a lot of people. But yeah. it's like you said, you know, not overdoing it with autoimmunity because it's exactly. stress. It's stress for our body. So yeah. um, it's good stress, but if we are in an active autoimmune process, our body cannot determine stress from exercise versus stress at my job or personal mm-hmm. stress, you know, emotional stress and that sort of thing. So we yeah. don't want to add something else into our day. Like if you we're going for a 10 hour work shift, for example, insanely stressed out. You had meeting after meeting after meeting, and then you go work out for an hour and you do hit. I mean, that is not great for your body. So we, Tim and I do yeah. a lot of coaching on our clients. You know, we get occasionally people that we have to coach them down from exercise and that's not always the case, but yeah. um, that's super important for people well, listening to be aware. And not even to stereotype, but just our anecdotal evidence, like it's been far and away, it's been women who we've seen mm-hmm are the chronic over-exercisers and really hit it hard in terms of like the high intensity exercise as well. It's like Mm -hmm. you were saying, Jess and Rachel, it's like, you know, if you're not doing the right type of exercise or you're doing too much volume wise or intensity wise, like Mm -hmm. those, those are the kind of things that land you in our office. So yep, for sure. (laughs) Or to see you too, right. Because they're in this active autoimmune process and they can't figure out how to get out of the cycle. Right. And some of that might be, Hey, exercise is great, but we got to back it down just a little bit. (laughs) let your body recover and that sort of thing, or make sure you have enough nutrients to, to support what you are doing in the gym. So So what's kind of your process, Rachel, like Mm -hmm. how have you managed that with the things you've dealt with, with autoimmunity and recognizing the importance of exercise, but then on balance with like work and like getting some time to just like rest and recover. How do, how do you manage that exercise piece? Um, I try to focus on, so I don't really do a whole lot of like intense cardio and I do more like just gentle movement throughout the day, try to do a lot of that. And then more just smart strength training based on what I've learned over, you know, years of PT, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, doing smart strength training. And I, um, actually do a lot of, um, blood flow restriction training, which is helpful for um, being able to make progress without flaring up my joints. Um, That's been been really, really huge. So Um, how long have you been doing the BFR? A year-ish, I think. Okay. Okay. And how frequently do you do that? Twice a week. Oh yeah. Love it. So Tim, you're the expert with us. We have BFR cups here as well. Um, Remind us, because I'm blanking on this at the moment. I know it's a high percentage, but how much growth hormone increases when you're doing BFR? Like talk our audience through BFR. This is a common thing, but not everybody knows what it is. So so basically, and you could probably talk to this too, Rachel, it's like you're using occlusion cuffs. You're putting in those around either kind of the top of your arm, just below your shoulder. You can put them around your thighs, kind of like right below your groin. And then you're doing exercise for a certain number of reps over a certain amount of time with a certain amount of rest in between or no rest, depending on like what activity you're doing. Like you could just pedal a bike very slowly and painfully for 20 minutes if you wanted to <laughs> with BR, BFR cuffs on your quads. And that would feel like you were hiking up Everest with like, yep. you know, breathing yep. through a straw basically. <laughs> so yeah. 
But yeah. the, the idea is what you're doing is you're allowing arterial blood flow in, but the cuffs basically prevent that, or I'm sorry, it's the opposite way. The, no, that's the right it way. Occludes. It occludes that venous return. Yeah. So you're getting blood flow in, but it's not getting out at, a, at the same rate. And so what's accumulating is lactate there. And then once, once we take those cuffs off, one of the things we see is that there's a huge increase in, to clear that lactate, and growth hormone and a lot of other kind of growth factors that basically stimulate the same process that you would stimulate if you were lifting very heavy weights, but with generally, it's usually it's like 50 to 60% less weight than you would lift without the cuffs on. Mm -hmm. So it's really gentle on your joints. It's a great rehab modality, but it's also just a great, you know, supplement to training as well. So that's cool that you found that because I'm, I'm sure for you, that's been helpful. So. Uh, yeah, it was, I just a quick caveat because people are going to go, Oh, I'm going to try this after listening. Yeah. <laughs> Call us first. You have to be very careful with it. Um, women with certain hormone issues. If you're on birth control, if you're a certain age, I mean, there's, we, we have a whole, um, list of kind of looking at like, is this appropriate for you? And can we do this or is it not safe? So mm -hmm. quick caveat, go yeah. ahead, Rachel. I just to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love it though. Mm -hmm. partially because I get bored easily with exercise and it makes it just like really intense really mm -hmm. fast yeah um, but I never get sore no, no almost more. ever yeah. even despite pushing myself really hard so I I love it I was to the point where I was about to get cortisone shots in my knees which Ooh. I was I mean you got I had to be I'm young <laughs> I had to be really yeah. to even be considering that um until i started doing BFR and that like really turned it around. Um, I love yeah. hearing that. It's just a reminder of things that I tell my clients, like if they need a total knee, like, yes, maybe you truly do need a total knee because you're bone on bone. But what if we just strength train? What if you supported that joint? If you don't have the strength to support the joint, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when we have like an autoimmune process as well. But yeah. you know, like that strength is so important because the muscles around the joint is what supports the joint and helps you yeah. move correctly. It gives you good breaks, meaning you wear out your joints less quickly. If you have good breaks, I always tell people you have muscles that are accelerators, you know, they produce power and that's important. And we need those, but the opposite side of the joint is the brakes and you need good breaks as well because it slows down your movement and it helps you control your movement. So you don't have extra stress. Yeah. I think that with the autoimmune piece too, you asked about my exercise mm -hmm. routine sort of, um, with the autoimmune piece, I think I've learned over the last, you know, couple of years that things like exercise have to ebb and flow with, you know, if I'm having an autoimmune flare, it's not a good day to really like push myself with exercise. And so just learning to listen to my body and, and pay attention to my symptoms and modify what I'm doing based on. Mm -hmm. whether or not I'm having an autoimmune flare or just what's going on. And I think, I, I think that's really important for everybody to realize that if you have an autoimmune disease, it may go into remission, which is great, but most people, you know, kind of the best situation they get into is they're managing it well and, it, and it'll still kind of ebb and flow as life ebb and flow, ebbs and flows. And so mm -hmm. just, just being aware of that, um, being willing to slow down and rest, I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. We call that in strength and conditioning fear, uh, fluid periodization. It's like <laughs> check in with yourself every day and no matter what is written in your workout program, like have an honest conversation with yourself about, are you ready to do this workout today or do you need mm -hmm. to do something else? And so, mm -hmm. yeah. And I've done that before, just having kind of a similar history to you where you know, it's rare, but maybe I didn't sleep well or, you know, what have you. And okay, maybe today's not the day that I'm going to do my hardest workout of the day, or maybe I'm not going to work out at all. Maybe I'm going to go for a walk for like 10 minutes in the sun, nice and easy end mm -hmm. of story. Like that's it. And, you know, and it's hard to, I'm an athlete, so it's hard to get around that. Like I want to feel like I worked out, you know, but, um, I feel much better when I don't push myself because I will notice if I do too much, it wipes me out. If I do too mm -hmm. much in the gym, it wipes mm -hmm. on top of being a business owner and a mother and <laughs> yeah. all the other 40,000 full-time jobs I do. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's all, all of us. We all have a lot going on. So yeah. um, I think it's important, like you said, Tim, that's really good advice just to be aware and for both of you guys commenting on those things. Something else I wanted to comment on that you had said earlier too, not related to the exercise thing, but um, having food sensitivities doesn't always manifest as gut symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that was or me. Or digestive issues. Yes, that was me. So I, I want to just personal story, you know, like I think that's important for listeners here. Like that's true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Of course, like you are the expert, of course it's true, but like I, I lived that. I mean, my, um, piece of food sensitivity was spinning me into autoimmune thyroid problems. So, um, I didn't have stomach pain until much later, like mm-hmm. late in my twenties. I'm like, what is going on? This is strange. I didn't have this, but looking back, I'm like, this started when I was a teen, you know, after mono, when I was 15. So, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have stomach pain. I didn't really have any issues with bowel movements. I mean, sorry if that's TMI, but like nothing that you'd relate. I don't have um, reflux, nothing like that. So Mm -hmm. um, I had skin issues, you know, my acne would flare up. I didn't know it at the time. It was very frustrating, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, even now, if I eat certain things, my skin will flare up and I can associate Mm -hmm. that. So I think it's important for the listeners to pay attention to their body, like their fatigue level. Do you have brain fog? Um, What other things would you say? you can tell people have food sensitivities, like what are other symptoms they can think of besides gut related things, Rachel? Um, it could be headaches, skin issues. Um, and a lot of people do have digestive issues. So it it doesn't always manifest that way, but I would say probably 80% of my patients, even if they don't come to me for a digestive issue, they have it like some sort of, you know, constipation or, or whatever it might be. So it, it is common, but, um, yeah, headaches, fatigue, brain fog, skin stuff. Um, those would be, I mean, even, you know, the achy joints yeah. could be a manifestation of, of that. It can really trigger anything because it's, <laughs> it's sort of like poking the bear with mm. inflammation um, every time you eat a food that you're sensitive to. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, my goal, anytime I have somebody where, we suspect food sensitivities. Um, I've seen people turn around amazing, amazing improvements with elimination diets or, you know, figuring out what their food sensitivities are. But from a mental health perspective and from a nutrient, you know, making sure we're, we're getting lifelong adequate nutrients. Um, my goal is always to improve food tolerance to get them back to eating as much variety as possible. And that's where the gut healing piece comes in um, to make sure that that happens. And it, it doesn't always, I mean, some people are gluten-free for life and that, you know, that's okay. But we try as hard as we can to improve tolerance as much as much as we can um, so that people aren't trapped, in, <laughs> trapped yeah. In, yeah. in a super strict diet for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cause that can be really daunting. I think for some people who aren't feeling well to think about, man, do I have to make this dietary change for the rest mm-hmm. of my life? And mm-hmm. especially if they're going in alone too, that, that's a tough yeah. thing. Well, so. I think it's helpful to know. It is helpful to know your genetics a little bit. You know, I have two copies of a gluten sensitive gene. So yeah, I'm one of those people, like I don't ever have it <laughs> and I don't ever plan mm-hmm. to start incorporating it back in my diet regularly. Yeah because, you know, it probably is not the best. I have that genetic predisposition, but I I want you to talk to our audience about the gluten thing, because this is a very common question I get from friends, family, and patients. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually had a text message from a friend recently. She was like, Hey, can you forward me some articles on like the gut and the gluten link to autoimmunity? And I was like, Oh gosh, I have to dig. (laughs) It's been a long time since I've looked at the research is there. Um, but what is your professional opinion on that? Because this is a common thing that dietitians, integrative dietitians will ask people Mm -hmm. about immune conditions to cut out. So why is that? What is it about gluten and what is your perspective on that? Yeah. Um, so gluten is thought to increase intestinal permeability. So your, your intestines, I always, I always demonstrate this with my hands, but nobody else. (laughs) Um, so your intestines, have you know there's your cells are all kind of packed tightly together in your intestines and they're supposed to stay that way and and there there may be a little bit of fluctuation in how much they let through depending on what you eat you know throughout the day there's some level of expected change in 
the leakiness <laughs> of your gut, that in, that intestinal permeability. Um, but it should always go back to, you know, being nice and healthy and strong and having really good integrity. And so, so gluten has been shown to increase intestinal permeability um, and it, you know, can make it hard to and stay that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the reason that we often eliminate it for um, autoimmune disease is, um, well, a couple of reasons. One, because of the intestinal permeability piece, but um, two, because it's just so common for people who have one type of autoimmune disease to have another. And so, um, you know, maybe you have Hashimoto's, you might also have celiac or, or something like that. So, um, gluten sensitivity in general is just really common in people with autoimmune disease and it could be a genetic thing. Um, and there's some cross reactivity with gluten and thyroid, um, as well. And so that can be another, another reason to eliminate it. So I don't tell everybody to eliminate gluten. Again, that's kind of meeting people where they're, where they're at, depending on what's going on. Um, but usually for people who come to me with an autoimmune issue, if they haven't already tried it, we're going to, we're going to try, um, and just see how, see how you feel off yeah. of gluten and see yeah. how it And goes. do you have a protocol for this? Because I, I've talked to some clients who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that's usually my first comment, you know, like I, I refer out, I'm not sitting here giving a ton of, um, and I tell my clients that like, I'm not a dietitian. I know wonderful dietitians. I'll get you to somebody, but you know, maybe try whole 30 just because I know it's clean. And if they're mm-hmm. having a ton of issues, like I know that's going to help them. And I feel comfortable recommending that. And then it's like, yeah. but you still need to see somebody like for personalized help. And you know, this is my list of people I know and trust in the city. So, um, yeah. but I've had people where it's like, oh yeah, I tried that for a couple of days or for a week. Yeah. So mm-hmm. talk to the audience about like, or how I made it through it the 30 take. days. I made it through yes. the whole 30 and I felt great. And it's like, well, then what happened? Well, then I stopped. And I couldn't like, do it. Yeah. It's too strict. It's I've like, heard that a lot too. So yeah. All right. yeah. I wish it was like the whole 60, like mm-hmm. that, that might make a better, you know, I don't know if this, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, but it might make a bigger difference. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, the bare minimum for food sensitivity is going to be three weeks for most people to even every once in a while, you'll get somebody where it's like, Oh, <laughs> I feel better, better after a couple of days. But, um, usually the bare minimum is, is three weeks. But if you've got an autoimmune disease, if you have a long history of chronic symptoms, um, it's usually going to take more than a few weeks to turn that around. And so, at least four to six weeks is what we start with before we would try a reintroduction um, and based on how the person's feeling, but often we'll go, you know, three months. Um, if you have celiac, it can take six months to a year for your, to, to see improvements. Um, so obviously not everybody with an autoimmune disease has celiac, but but just important to keep in mind, celiac is not the same as a food sensitivity. I should, Mm -hmm. I should definitely clarify that. (laughs) Um, But even with food sensitivities, it can take, you know, months to, to really see a difference. And again, that making sure that we're supporting gut healing during that time is, is really important for making progress. I think that's great though. Like for those listening, I know that might sound daunting, but just like, encourage you a little bit. And this was kind of my experience too, you know, and, and we tell people this from the pain side, right, Tim, where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, people that come in that have had pain for 20 years or 10 years, maybe not necessarily constant, but oh yeah. I mean, this is so common for Tim and I to hear this, like this has been going on for, you know, 10 years off and on. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what brought you in now? Oh, well, two weeks ago I had this flare up again and I'm just tired of dealing with it and it's not getting better as fast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's a very common story with our patients and our practice. Um, and I always try because I feel like knowledge is power. So I always encourage them. I'm like, we can get you over this, but for somebody that's had that history, it's going to take this length of time versus mm-hmm. somebody that came to see me, for example, that had a, their first acute issue two weeks ago. Well, that's super easy. Like you have way less compensations, way less sensitivity. The body mm-hmm. has, you know, 
done less. I mean, there's more, much more going on for that person who's had pain for 10 years. So it's the same with food, right? You've had more insult to the gut for a longer period of time, more health issues involved with that. So um, be encouraged that just stick with it. Like it is possible to heal. It just may take a little longer. And I think going into that and knowing that is probably very helpful for your clients to have that knowledge. Like, yeah, this is the time frame you're looking at and that's helpful for them to know them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some people really do feel better after a month. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely important to think about, you know, how long has this been going on? It may take a while to, mm-hmm. yeah. people, um, like I don't eat gluten, but it doesn't give me symptoms to eat it. I just, mm-hmm. I limit it because I am aware of the potential effects it could have long-term on my autoimmune condition, but I don't have any reaction to it when I eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, everybody's different with, with the food. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting. Well, and I think like we're talking about too, I think it's important to have that mindset about like, what are, what are you after when you're trying to solve problems like this? Do you want the short-term fix? And do you want this to just be this thing that you dance with for the next 20 years? Or do you want the long-term solution? Mm-hmm. And like thinking about it in those terms, in terms of like the time you're going to invest, like realize that this is it's not just a like one-off product. It's not like Mm -hmm. you're selling them like, Hey, this is a 30 day fix for all that (laughs) ails you. It's like, this is, this is way more about like we've been talking today about like, do you have all those components of your lifestyle in Mm -hmm. order to support your body feeling and performing its best? Yeah. Root cause and getting to the bottom of that and healing from the ground up. So Mm -hmm. Um, and something you've mentioned several times, I'd love for you to go in a little bit more depth with is the gut healing piece. So absolutely. Like we do food sensitivity testing maybe, and we find, or an elimination diet and somebody's like, okay, I've got these sensitivities. We eliminate those, but what do we do in the meantime to heal the gut? And I'm sure it's, it's personalized, right, Rachel? <laughs> Can you give us a few ideas on what you do with your clients that are really helpful? Yeah. So usually that's going to involve testing. Not always. There are certainly things we could do to support gut health, um, like probiotics and fiber and um, various supplements. Um, I call them heal and seal supplements, um, okay. things like that, that we, you know, we could potentially do without testing, but most of the time we're going to do some testing. So it could be um, testing for SIBO, which is a breath test. It could be stool testing. Um, there are some some blood tests that I use as well that can um, sort of indirectly look at gut health. Um, And so we'll use those things to inform a plan uh, for gut healing. And so that could be trying to kill off some bad gut bugs before, you know, as a first step, Um, that could be just supporting more healthy bacteria with specific types of fiber and color could be specific probiotics. Um, it could be things like, um, oh, there's, you know, a hundred different supplements, but usually it involves supplements, um, to some extent. And then of course, heal, uh, stress management and sleep. And I talk to people a lot about, are you slowing down to eat? Are you chewing your food? Well, we need to make sure we're stimulating, you know, good digestive juices, um, which isn't going to happen if you're like snarfing down a granola bar in the car <laughs> on the way to work. Yeah. Um, so we talk a lot about those eating habits as well and how, how those can help um, make sure that your digestion is, is functioning well, because if you're, if you're, it's, it's sort of a, a cascade of things that happen. So if you're, you know, your stomach acid's not working well because you're stressed all the time and that's not stimulating the other digestive juices further down you're predisposed to having bacterial overgrowth which is you know maybe causing maybe you know triggering an autoimmune flare could be contributing to brain fog and inflammation um so there are a lot of different pieces to the puzzle but ultimately we're just trying to help help people get their digestion functioning again um use a lot of digestive enzymes to help kind of just give people a little boost with the digestive symptoms. 
So, so it's not a one size fits all approach is what you're saying. It is not. <laughs> yeah, that that's another good good tip to take away there. It's like there is not a universal gut healing protocol mm -hmm. on the market. Correct. So, but that's the, the amazing thing about what you do, right? It is personalized with everybody. Um, there are so many dietitians who don't have the functional background and it is a one size fits all. It's like, and remind, like, what were you taught in school? Like, how, how yeah. did you get into the functional medicine thing? Because that's not what you were taught in dietitian school, right? Or dietitian exactly. School. Yeah. I feel like I, we skipped the, we skipped that part a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like you were sick and then you started getting yourself better. And then all of a sudden had all the questions. Yeah. That's, I right. The, that's, okay. that's right. <laughs> yeah. I started talking about juice cleanses and like, we got all off track. So, um, um so I did go to school for, I went to dietetic school. I had for my bachelor's degree, and I don't think I really had any idea what a dietitian actually did when I did that. I don't really know what I was thinking, but um, I was interested in nutrition. So I did that. And even though I got interested via kind of my own experience with functional medicine, I really went off off of that for a little while based on the teaching that I was getting in school. And, you know, it, not only was it very, you know, fit inside kind of a small box, but it also was a little bit outdated even for, yeah. even within a, you know, conventional um, medicine lens. It was, it was a little bit outdated. Um, looking, looking back on it, but it was, it was a very good experience. It gave me the foundation that I needed, you know, for biochemistry and physiology and understanding all of that stuff. Um, but I didn't get into the functional medicine education part until grad school and my internship, my dietetic internship. And I trained at KU integrative medicine with, um, Lee Wagner and Randy Evans. Um, and yes. Both of which we have had on this podcast. Yes. yes. That's right. <laughs> Veterans of the Healthy Kansas City podcast yes. as well. Yes. So. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So I did, that was kind of my, my main uh, tra training that got me into it. And then really functional medicine is mostly self-study. Uh, mm -hmm. After that, there's a handful of like certifications that you can get, but they're super expensive. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's just like PT as the well. Even PT, yep. yeah, a whole lot of money to take into education. <laughs> yeah, well, and to really yeah. just you know become like a subject matter expert as For well. Sure. It's like yeah. you just are trained as a generalist in PT school, which mm -hmm. from like you, what you were sharing about dietetic school, you know, in undergrad, and we've had conversations with yeah Lee and. Um, Randy and Robin Johnson, who's another one of our old friends, you know, yeah. had I similar... shadowed her too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah. And it, it does seem, I mean, we got the same thing in physical therapy and you know, it's one of the things I don't remember where I read this a while back, it, but it was kind of a critique of, um, our education system in general, especially at the higher levels of education that most of the textbooks that are written for college and graduate level courses are like 10 to 15 years behind the actual like research and work that's being done in the field. So it's like mm -hmm. at best you're a decade behind, mm -hmm. like yeah. once you get out of school. So. Sure. Yeah. And I, I do think that was a benefit of, of grad school. Cause I feel like you're working with people who are a little bit more in the thick of current research yeah. to, mm -hmm. to some extent, at least that was my experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. When you think about how long it takes to put a textbook together, it, it makes sense. Um, for sure. Yeah. I, I guess I understand too, in school, it's like, you have to teach stuff that's like solid, <laughs> like this has been well-researched. We for sure maybe, know these things maybe. and while it might be outdated, like I understand, like you can't just, yeah, I mean, things are evolving and changing so fast and new research is always coming out, I think in, in all of these fields. Um, so mm -hmm. that's just tough. You know, I, I can imagine that's hard to educate a whole yeah. program for, you know, whatever graduate program it is to to stay on top of all of that and to make sure it's reputable as well. <laughs> because yeah. we all know like research is great, but I feel like you have to know how to read research, right? I mean, any research study could come out and someone goes, oh, research says this. And you look at the study, it's like, that was a terrible study. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, how many people actually understand so, statistics right, too? Exactly. Exactly. So. That's what I was going to say. Even if it was a well-designed study, can you, 
can you interpret how they did their their stats because that's yeah. do you know what the difference between absolute and relative risk is like yeah, yeah let's start there and then if you can answer that question then yeah, yeah maybe we'll continue to play that game well wasn't that the whole issue in the 80s with the whole fat is bad for you now we're gonna just add sugar to everything and high carb is great <laughs> right yeah. based on a research study but it was improperly interpreted and then mm-hmm. we have this whole generation of being told one thing, which is actually not awesome for us. So mm-hmm. really, really sad. It's derailed. And what has gone up? Cancer, diabetes, all of these things. So mm-hmm. like we were talking about before, autoimmune disease, I don't think that's coincidence. There's some sort of environmental factor going on here. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, nutrition in general is just so hard to study So much of the research that we have is observational and everybody's different. And I think it's just, you know, it's sort of inherent to the nature of nutrition that it's a little bit controversial and and (laughs) yeah, it's, it's hard. Well, there's so many, yeah, so many confounding factors. Like you said, it's like, how can you take a whole group and apply the same method and expect the same outcome with so much individual variability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on that note, what are some, like, we know this for sure, like vegetables are good for you. (laughs) Yeah. You have any like two or three, like we for sure know this. Everybody should eat these. Yeah. (laughs) Eat the rainbow of vegetables. You said like healthy fats too. too. Yes. Let's hear her expertise. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I feel like Mediterranean diet, Mediterranean style diet is really good, well-established. This is good for the vast majority of people, Mm -hmm. um, type of eating pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's the, you know, that's what I teach in my, um, Alzheimer's prevention classes, which I don't think we've talked about yet, but, um, No, but we're both interested in that for sure. So yeah. definitely maybe we should more about maybe that. say that for part two, because you don't yeah. want to keep Rachel up all night. <laughs> and true. I've probably got like 20 different questions. <laughs> if you thought I had a lot of nutrition questions, wait till we get into Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so yeah, but yeah but the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. So tell us like, what are, what are kind of the specific features of that? Mm-hmm. just in terms of like, yeah, like protein sources, fat sources, vegetables, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, Mediterranean is whole foods focused. So that would be, that would be another thing. I think it's pretty good rule of thumb yeah. is focusing on, on whole foods as much as possible. It's nutrient dense. So lots of fruits and veggies, lots of whole foods, relatively low glycemic. Um, there is some differences in interpretation of, you know, what, what is a Mediterranean diet? We think of like Italian food with lots of pasta is probably not mm. the Mediterranean diet we want to be going yeah. for, but um, in general, you know, focusing on low glycemic carbs, lean protein, healthy fats like olive oil, nuts and seeds, fish, um, plenty mm. of fish. So those would be kind of some key features of the Mediterranean diet. And it really doesn't limit any specific food, but a lot of emphasis on whole foods and fresh food and color. Yeah. And what is your recommendation for those of us in the Midwest on the seafood thing? (laughs) I love seafood. However, it's scary to eat it here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, I get it frozen. Um, or or canned although canned is you, then you got to worry about the toxins in the cans right. but mm-hmm. um yeah frozen frozen salmon it's great mm-hmm. <laughs> and do yeah, you recommend we yeah like we do wild caught stuff do you mm-hmm. recommend wild caught versus farm raised do you have an opinion yes um wild caught is better lower mm-hmm. in toxins gonna have um more omega-3s mm-hmm. um if you can't afford to to get the wild caught i think there's still benefits to eating the farmed like atlantic salmon um so i wouldn't say you know don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on that but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but wild pacific salmon is definitely the the top the best one there yeah cool. that's a good, good one for sure yeah we like sardines too 
or at least me and the kids do. Yeah, so, sardines as well. Yeah, <laughs> those are good. Never but that's thought not I would say that I like them, but I do like the season. Was it season something brand yeah. from Costco? Mm -hmm. It's got good flavor. So. Yeah, those are wild caught, mm -hmm. packed in olive oil, and yeah, those are solid. So yeah, yeah sardines are another good one. Mm -hmm. I feel like most mm -hmm. people don't like sardines, so no. Yeah, I just learned a really funny story just as an aside about sardines from my dad, like about a month ago, because he commented about our kids eating sardines. He's like, sardines. He's like, man, that was my dad was one of seven boys. And so he was like, sardines was the only thing that your grandmother, his mom, could keep in the house that none of those seven boys would eat. <laughs> like they would eat everything else that like she brought home from the grocery store, but nobody would touch grandma coming sardines so <laughs> that's funny yeah but we well, had some good solid healthy fat to herself you know yeah, it's important a good long life <laughs> yeah. so but Rachel this has been great we don't want to keep you much longer because it is a, a later episode that we're recording tonight but um we always like to wrap up with just kind of giving people some information about like how they can get connected with you like yeah. what's a good way to to get in touch with you if they've got more questions about dealing with autoimmunity we didn't even touch on like the the Alzheimer's and the cognitive health. We're going to get you health. back for part two yeah. to discuss that. Okay. For sure. Great conversation. For sure. <laughs> yeah. What, what are the details about getting connected with you? Yeah. Um, so the, I'm most active on Instagram as far as social media go. So um, following me at Rachel Sandoval RDN um, is a great way to connect with me on social media. And then my website, there's not a whole lot on there, but if you wanted to just get contact information and see kind of um, what my services are like is rachelsandovalrdn.com. Okay. We'll put all um, this in the show notes too. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. That'd be great. So yeah, that's, those are the, the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Um, Instagram or just on my website, all my contact information is there. Um, and then if you have questions about Alzheimer's, um, mm -hmm. you can, that is through KU Medical Center. So you can, you can reach me through there, <laughs> through there as well. Wait, but, but there's another way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> either, either way is fine. Um, but yeah, my, I would go through my private practice first. That's, that's the easiest <laughs> way to go. <laughs> yes. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's how we got in touch with you. That was, that was super yeah, simple. Fun fact, so. Rachel, you live on the other side of our neighborhood, right? We're like yeah. five minutes from each other. So yes. we realized that we're like, oh, this is fun. This is great. We're getting a dog because you recommended it, which is next super time, fun. So we, we had like a 15 minute dog conversation <laughs> we before we could awesome. record on this podcast. Yeah. So I we'll really talk about Alzheimer's like and dog. like cabochons next <laughs> yes. time. That will be like the dual podcast follow-up. Very so. important. Yeah. Dogs are great for our mental health, right? They prevent Alzheimer's. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. Did you say prevent Alzheimer's? I don't know oh, about yeah. that, but that, yeah, I don't I know if we can sign good. off on that yet, but yeah. <laughs> Well, this is great, Rachel. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is this is really fun. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Kansas City podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at RestoreThrive.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Restore Thrive is the home to Kansas City's top physical therapy and performance training practice. We're all about helping active individuals and athletes get back to the activities and sports they love without pills, injections, or surgeries. At our core, we believe that you should be able to grow strong and age gracefully. So whether you're trying to get ready for your next race, ready for your next workout, ready to keep up with your kids, pretty much ready to win at the game of life. Check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Restore Thrive. Until next time, be well, everyone.